Have you ever had a big conversation with somebody? Husbands, has your wife ever said, we need to talk, right? Those are not words that most of us like to hear. Maybe it's your boss. Hey, I need, I need to talk to you at the end of the day. That doesn't sound good. Those big conversations can be scary. You have these conversations with a, a kid or a coworker or a spouse. I'm a thinker. If someone ever says to me, don't do that to me, okay? Don't say, hey, can I talk to you next week? Don't ever do that to me. I hate that. It just drives me nuts. I'm going to think everything in the world. Uh, you know, I'm going to wonder if I like am getting arrested or like, uh, you know, I accidentally murdered somebody and he didn't know it or something. I, I, every time the principal used to, you know, talk to me or call me in his office, you could almost convince me that I did the thing that you're saying that I did. I just, I, that's the posture that I have. And I don't like those conversations, right? And, and when I have those conversations with people and I have to have those type of talks, I, I take it so seriously and I think over it so much. A lot of times I cannot rest until I just type the whole thing out of my phone, right? And I just have to know that I, this is what I want to say. This is the right way to say it. This is the kind way to say it. And I, and I don't want to forget everything. Well, we've been looking at the book of Titus. We started this a couple weeks ago. And Paul wrote this letter to Titus because he had some big things that he wanted to tell Titus, some serious things about this new ministry that he was undertaking in Crete. Paul knew the challenges of ministry, and he knew that there would be some bumps in the road, and, and Titus was going to need to know some stuff. He wanted to prepare Titus for what was coming. Last time we saw uh, that Paul encouraged Titus to remember that the grace of God that saved us is what trains us to be the person that God made us to be. The same faith that we needed to be saved is the same faith we need to uh, progress and mature in our faith. We saw how the grace of the gospel redirects our worship from earthly things to the Father and remembering what he did on the cross redirects our worship. The grace of the gospel restores our gratefulness. It reminds us of how thankful we need to be. And the grace of the gospel raises expectations that God has called us to be something. And that one day we're going to be like him. And between now and then, he has given us the gift to be able to mature in our faith. And, and remembering the gospel reminds us that those expectations are raised. Because we were saved to be different. We were saved to be someone new, a new creature. Verse 11 and chapter 2, Paul writes on. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Paul continues to beat this drum about the grace of God. Christianity is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just a value system or a moral code that you adopt. It's not a bunch of rituals you perform or events that you put on a calendar. Christianity is us responding to the grace that God has shown us. It's a reaction to the love that he has shown us. That love that he showed us on the cross. And it's us drawing near to God because we realize that he's already drawn near to us and that we only love him because he first loved us. But verse 11 here uh, follows up this reminder about the grace of God with a detailed list of the positions that we're each supposed to play in the church. 
And Paul realizes that there's some dynamics at play. There's different segments of people and we're not all the same. There's older generations and younger generations and there's men and there's women. And Paul realizes that we need to know where we fit in. We need to understand what our place is and what our purpose is and what we bring to the table. And each group is going to struggle with different temptations. And each group needs to know what they need to do and what they need to watch out for. Motivated, not by a list of do's and don'ts, but motivated out of our love for Jesus and out of the grace of the gospel. He starts off in verse uh, 1 in this chapter, talking about the pastor. Paul says to Titus, he says, as, to, as for you, here's what you need to do. Teach what accords to sound doctrine. Titus, make sure that you don't slip up into being a false teacher and person that leads people astray and distracts them from what's right. See, a pastor's job is not to give people what they want, Titus. It's to prayerfully tell them what they need to hear. And sometimes that means they won't like it. And sometimes that means they'll feel uncomfortable, but that's okay and that's good because change is uncomfortable. Titus, your job's not to be an entertainer or a people pleaser. It's to preach the truth of the Bible and equip the saints to do the ministry. And that's a big responsibility. And Paul's reminding Titus, you've got to teach sound doctrine. You've got to remember what's important. Next, Paul wants to give Titus some guidance about older men. Paul would have been most likely in his 50s or so at this time, close enough to, being, uh, to begin thinking about what it's like to be an older man without forgetting what it's like to be a younger man. Verse 2, Paul tells Titus, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. See, Paul understands that in different stages of our lives, we struggle with different things, right? He isn't saying, hey, Titus, all older men are like this. No, he's saying if this group isn't careful, we can slip into these sins and we can let these sins creep into our lives. Paul tells Titus, look, older men ought to be wonderful examples of what it is like to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. An example for the younger men and the, and the boys. First, tells, uh, Paul tells Titus to encourage older men to be sober-minded. Now, that doesn't just mean don't get drunk. And it also doesn't mean that older, man can't, older men can't tell jokes or something. They always have to be serious. No, sober means calm and not panicky and level-headed in times of stress. Basically, don't let yourself be intoxicated by passions, whether that's anger or fear or pride. Be calm and sober-minded. And next, Paul tells Titus to encourage the older men to be dignified. <laughs> that means they have to wear top hats and monocles all the time, right? No, that word there means worthy of respect. It's important for us to respect our elders, but it's also important for them to remember to carry themselves in a way that is worthy of respect. Paul goes on and says self-controlled. That has these same ideas, right? Not blowing your top. Deliberate with your actions. Wise. 
There's been several times since I've been the pastor here at CBC that some godly older men on church council have calmed and brought a steadiness to a situation where it looked like it was going to be a crisis. And that steadfastness and self-control comes through experience. So first, Paul tells older men, here's three characteristics of how you should carry yourself outwardly. Sober-minded, worthy of respect, self-control. You got to let older men know that these are things that are important. But next, he tells uh, Titus, there's some inward things that you need to be. And he says, you need to be sound in faith. Older men need to be sound in love and sound in steadfastness. See, we can put a show on on the outside, but you need to be sound in your faith. What goes on on the inside is just as important, if not more. Your life needs to flow out of a real and genuine and vibrant walk with God. And if it doesn't, don't act like it does. See, sometimes the older we get, and I can feel this, that the more we have to feel and act like we have it all together and we got to project that to people. That we've got it all figured out and we've been there and done that. But it's much better to be authentic. Don't act like you have it all together. People see right through that. Vulnerability goes a long way in your ability to help lead and disciple people. And if your faith walk isn't sound, you need to stop everything. If, If it's a crumbling foundation, you need to go back to the drawing board and get that figured out. Because ticking years off of church membership does not equal a vibrant life of faith. So when was the last time you really investigated the grace of the gospel? Was there ever a time in your life where you were more on fire for Christ than you are right now? Our lives need to be founded and and sound in faith. We've got to really investigate the fact that we are just sinners. And for some reason, God chose to save us. And if we live in that, that truth, it's going to change who we are on the inside. Next, he tells us not only to be sound in faith. He says older men need to be sound in love. Hey, men, people ought to know that you love them. It's not Christ-like to be distant and emotionless and gruff. And a real vibrant walk with Christ is going to produce love. Is your life founded on love? How will people know that you love them if, they, if you don't tell them? I'm not just talking here, and he's not talking about just your wife and kids, but the, loving the people that Jesus loves. Next, Paul tells uh, Titus that older men need to endure, to be steadfast. Don't give up. Don't stop serving. You've got a lot of experience. Some of those experiences are good. Some of those experiences are bad. But sometimes things happen to us in our lives where we decide it's better just to just retire and just to sit back and to let everyone else do things. But Paul encourages Titus to remind these older men to endure and to continue to step out and to and to have faith and to have hope and to have love. Don't just retire in your faith. Find a place to serve and be an example of endurance. Even when the road gets rough and even when you get burnt. 
Don't just fill your time with self-centered hobbies. Find a place to serve and stay in the game. I didn't know uh, Charlie Long very long before uh, he passed away. But I do know two things about him. I know that these two things really affected how I viewed him. The one was that I know he took a huge responsibility. If you've seen this building over here, the Monroe building, he took a huge responsibility in administering the Monroe Fund, which is a whole like spider web of like all these rules of things you had to follow in order to be able to use this money. And he, he was in charge of building a three-story building with an elevator and a sub-pump system, and he took on this huge position. The other thing I know about him is that he used to fill up the golf pencils in the pews before every service. Once again, I didn't know him very well, but those two things told me everything I needed to know. That he knew that serving was serving, whether he had this huge position in the church or whether he was filling up golf pencils in the pew. And he endured in his faith and he served faithfully whether he had a position or not. And Paul tells Titus, older men need to carry themselves in a way worthy of the gospel and they need to be grounded in faith and love and endurance. And it's so important. We need you, older men. Time to talk about the ladies. Amen, fellas? Here we go. Come on. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. See, first, uh, Paul tells Timothy that older women need to be respectful in their behavior. How many of y'all know, and you know, you know you, someone comes to your mind that sometimes as we get older, some people just tend to lose their filter, right? <laughs> How many of y'all know? Don't point at anybody. And again, these things aren't universal, right? These things are temptations that we can have. These things that, you know, doesn't automatically mean that every, uh, you know, older woman might struggle with this. But some of us just quit caring if what we say is hurtful, right? We're just like, all right, I'm just going to say it, and then we'll figure it out later. Just watch the Golden Girls, right? It's a perfect example. But if you run your central AC in your home without a filter, it's going to cause problems. If you run your car without an air filter, it's going to cause problems. If you run your mouth without a filter, it's going to cause problems, right? And that leads us into this next thing that Paul says. He says, older women need to be careful to avoid slander. Slander is misrepresenting the truth, push, twisting the words and, and posing things in the worst light possible without giving people the benefit of the doubt. And, and when there aren't so many things to do, how many of you realize this, right? When there aren't so many things going on in your life, sometimes we can be tempted to talk about other people and put them in the worst light. I know that's true with my life. If I'm not busy, I can kind of begin to, you know, crave some excitement, so I start throwing people under the bus. But when I'm busy, those things don't happen. It isn't as big of a temptation. Uh, Simon Sinek says this. He says, don't complain, contribute. The same people that complain often are not the same people that contribute. And there's a reason for that. Because when we contribute and when we continue to serve and help, a lot of times we know the reasons why things are happening. A lot of times we've got our own problems and we don't have time to just point fingers at other people. 
And, and, and Paul tells Titus, hey, you need to let the older women know that slander and misrepresenting the truth is going to be a temptation for them. Now, the sweetest people I've ever met in my life have been older women. Judy Jenkins was a, 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 an older woman in our church when we lived in Rinkin, Georgia, who helped us in the most difficult time in Tori and I's life. And I only knew her for a year and a half, and 13, 12 years later, she still holds a special place in my heart. In Missouri, when Tori and I left, uh, Jane, her name was, was an older lady that came with a paintbrush, and just, we didn't even really ask her to come over, and she's like, what what can I paint? And she just painted the the inside of our whole entire house. And there's some amazing examples of People that are just the sweetest. And, and older women here at CBC. Nobody asks the pastor how he's doing except older women. That's just how it's been. Hey, Pastor Phil, how you doing? Write a little note. I want to make sure you know that we love you and we care about you. And, and it's the sweetest people. But in my 13 years of ministry, older women have also said the meanest things in the world to me. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be that way, okay? It doesn't have to be that way. We can live in our grace of the gospel, and we can live in a way that remembers who we are, that we're just sinners saved by grace, and it can transform us in an amazing way. Next, Paul tells Titus to tell the older women to quit hitting the sauce. (laughs) You need to watch out for that wine. I'm not saying, hey, this is what he's saying. Don't be slaves to wine. Don't depend on it. Instead, we're meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I noticed the trend over the pandemic where people were posting, maybe you saw this too, at the end of the post, they'd say, hashtag, send wine. And it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) What is going on here? Uh, According to a study in NYU, uh, 29% of adults reported an increase in alcohol consumption over the last year. This could be a real and a dangerous problem you need to watch out for. Ephesians uh, 5.18 says it best, do not get drunk with wine. Where it is excess, it's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't lean on it. Don't depend on it. Instead, depend on Jesus. Next, it tells older women to come alongside younger women, because younger women need some help too. Uh, Titus 2.4, it says to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. There's some experience that they can bring, they can help. Uh, It says to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, and uh, that the word of God may not be reviled. So Paul here says, instead of getting caught up in, in other things and, you know, maybe being disrespectful like he mentioned or slanderous or getting caught up in drunkenness, there's more important things for you to do. Older women that are walking with Jesus have a responsibility to help younger women and to come alongside them. Now, you realize I like glazed over some real controversial verses in these <laughs> right there, right? One of which is it says that uh, to teach the women to work at home. Now, you might uh, have people t- try and tell you that that means that women shouldn't have jobs outside the home. Look, we know that's not true because uh, Lydia, the seller of purple, was a godly woman, and the Bible praises her. Uh, The Proverbs 31 woman, big portion of that is is the way that she worked outside the home. So we know that's not true. No, what it means here is that women 
uh, and, and wives and mothers are important. And your home can't function without you. You can't be absent from the home. Uh, just like a man ought not to be absent from a home. Husband, fathers. For every Christian, our goal is not self-fulfillment, but loving God and loving others. And that happens first in our home. And that may mean that we put some stuff down at times to serve the people that uh, God has put in our lives. Kids aren't accessories to our lives, right? Husbands aren't accessories to our lives. Wives aren't accessories to our lives. These are important things, and we need to be present. We uh, need to love the family that God has given us just like Jesus loves them. And a godly older woman would be an invaluable asset in this life to remind a younger woman of this truth. Parents, we only get one shot at this. To raise our kids, to love God and love people. We only get one shot. You've got to be there. Men, we've got to be there. Moms and dads, that means we might cut some things out of our lives that are taking the focus off of our mission to love our spouse and to raise our kids. Maybe it's sports that's taking all of your time and you're pouring everything into that and you're not teaching them to love God and love their neighbor. Or maybe it's events for you like golfing and fishing and girls trips and guys nights. Some of that might need to wait until your uh, kids are raised in an attempt to, you know, work towards this and to be better at this. I, I play Minecraft with my daughter, Chloe. That's not like my, you know, greatest. I, I, I do have fun now, but <laughs> I was pretty skeptical at the beginning. I didn't want to do it. Over the past year, since the start of 2020, Noah and I have read 21 books, like real books, together. Because I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to remember that we only get one shot. There's no second chances. And we can't get to when our kids are 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and they want to have nothing to do with us. That's not the time to fix it. The time is now to invest in them and to show them that you love them and that Jesus loves them. I'm sure uh, there are many older men that would come alongside the younger men and say, don't spend that extra hour at the office. Go home and tuck your kids in bed. I'm sure there's many older women that would come alongside younger women and say, hey, don't start that fight. Have grace. Uh, don't pick that, that battle. Paul's saying that each segment of our life, at each stage, we have some temptations that can derail our lives. If we aren't living and remembering the grace of the gospel that, that Jesus died for us, that we are just a sinner saved by grace and that we need him for every moment, just as much faith as I needed to get saved and to get to heaven and to have a relationship, I need that same amount of faith every moment of my life to be different than what my flesh wants to be. Paul's saying we have these temptations but God has not called us just to be like everybody else. He has called us to be different, and we need him. Older men uh, need to help train younger men, too. Titus 2.6, Paul says to Titus, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This is all Paul says to Titus that he needs to know to help young men. Paul's very wise. He keeps it incredibly simple for this group right? Why? Because that's probably all that we can handle. Give me one thing, one, one thing I could do to be a better husband, a better father. 
Tori has to text me grocery lists and tell me things 20 times. So Paul says, look, Titus, this is what you need to remember to help younger men. Watch out for your passions, lust, anger, pride, ambition, pleasure. You have to have self-control. Your passions can destroy you. Men, indulging in passions never satisfies you. You're not going to be the one that gets satisfied by drunkenness or or extramarital affairs. You're not going to be the one that gets satisfied by money. Look around you. How many times have you done that? And you look at somebody's life and you're like, man, I saw that coming. Why don't you see it coming in your own life? Why do we got 2020 vision with everybody else's problems? But then we trip and stumble into sin and ruin things. We've got to have self-control. These passions never satisfy us. Hunger and thirst always comes back. There's only one place that can quench us, and that is Jesus Christ. Don't run around looking for purpose and fulfillment outside of Christ. Control those passions, those desires, and those lusts. Don't trick yourself into believing that you're that one person that will find peace and success and promotions and stuff. Proverbs 25, 28. It's an amazing verse for all of us men. It says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If we can't control our passions, then the enemy can take whatever they want, whenever they want. If we don't control our passions, if we don't have self-control, we see it all the time around us. Or a man loses his family because he couldn't control his passions, where a businessman uh, loses his job, or a pastor falls into sin and brings shame to a family, the church, and the name of Jesus. We've got to have self-control. J.C. Riley says, being ruled by the desires of your body will murder your soul. So be self-controlled. Okay, great, got it. You gave me one thing, and now I remember it. But How? Once again, this only comes by realizing who you are in the gospel, the grace of the gospel, that you are just a sinner destined for hell, but Jesus saved you. And just like you needed him to save you, you need him just as much every day to help you every moment of your life. You can't be independent. You have to depend on God. And you can only have this self-control by the grace of God. We've got older men, younger men, older women, younger women. We all need the gospel. We're all in the same boat and it's sinking. Every day we need it. There's so many temptations out there for us. And if we coast through this life, then we have no hope. You will always tend towards selfishness. You will always lean towards your flesh. You cannot do it on your own. We need the rudder of the gospel to steer us through the rocks of this life. And this grace that we have has uh, been granted to us is going to work itself out in our home life, in our work life, in our private life. Jesus saved us to be different. We're not supposed to be the same. Another thing this shows us is that we need each other. We can't fight each other. We have to work together. Generational fighting has always been a thing. The older generation thinks they know better. The younger generation thinks they know better. But the gospel is what crosses every line. 
It brings people together that would otherwise never be on the same page. Older and younger, men and women. If we keep our eyes on the fact that we're just sinners, that God saved, that I'm not better than anybody else, that I, I have a grace for people and I give people the benefit of the doubt, the gospel can cross those lines and those lines go away. Because it's not us and them, it's all us. We've got to let grace tear down those lines that we have drawn to separate us. And when we begin to have those little conversations with people and we say those people and these people, we've got to remember we're all on the same ground. We're all sinners that just need God. We need to be careful of those temptations that sneak up on us in this life. Older men, he encourages us to be founded in love and faith and endurance. Older women, respectful, not slanderous. Older, helping the younger, not tearing them down. And and, and vice versa. Younger, uh, helping the older and everything going back and forth in a mutual submission. Young parents, we only have one shot at this. Young men, be self-controlled. You remember the one thing, young men? Be self-controlled. I only gave you one thing, young men. Be self-controlled. Don't let your passions drive you. Young women, you are important. You are needed. Your home can't function without you. Paul's telling Titus, you need grace to be the person that God made you to be. And you are made to be different. You can't do it on your own. You've got no hope. To be the person God's made you to be without constantly relying on him. Constantly running every action in your life, every emotion, every attitude through the fact that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that for some reason God saved me and I need to be thankful and I need to worship him and I need to realize who I am in Jesus. That's the only way. We are saved to be different. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. Paul gave Titus some hard truths. And he was real specific. Paul liked to be real specific. Step right on our toes. But deep down, what he's getting at is you can't do this on your own. You can't do it on your own. If you try and do it on your own, you're going to fail. You're going to be terrible. It's going to be a disaster. The longer you try and do it on your own, the more you're going to mess it up. The more you try it in your own strength, the more you're going to be this like twisted, uh, kind of messed up person that hurts people around them. You need God to heal your brokenness every moment of your life. You need him to constantly resurrect you. You need his help to put the old you on the cross and the new him, Jesus Christ, on the throne of your life to make that new you. The old me passed away, the new me. Only motivated and living through the gospel. As we continue in this time of prayer, why don't you spend a few moments run these things that Paul 
gave to Titus. Don't think about, oh yeah, that's what that other group really needs. Ha, yeah, that group, if they could only have that. No, where do you fit in? Why don't you pray right now and ask God, God, what do I need? Where do I need to change? How do I need to be different from who I was yesterday? That's maturing in your face. That's called sanctification. Go ahead. Take a time. Those of you online, bow your heads, close your eyes, ask God, what do I need to change? What needs the gospel applied to it in my life? As you pray, I want to talk to those that maybe don't know Jesus as their Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and this is all kind of new to you and we talked a lot about how Jesus died for us and how that's our only hope. That's where it all starts. See, 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the literal man, walked this earth and lived a perfect and a holy life. Why? Because back at creation, at the beginning, sin broke everything. See, God created us with a free will. And with that free will and that ability to choose, we have the option to choose what's wrong. And over and over again, man has chosen over and over again to sin and to break God's law. That's why Jesus came. Because sin separates us from God. God is a perfect and a holy God and he cannot fellowship with sin. But he made a way for us to get to him through Jesus Christ. God in the flesh 2,000 years ago lived a perfect and a holy life. And then he laid down his life on the cross so that an innocent person could pay the price, the punishment for all of us guilty people. But he didn't stay dead. He broke the chains of sin and death. And he rose again on the third day. Bringing our salvation with him. There's only one way to get to God. There's only one way to have your sin forgiven. And it's no amount of goodness that you can do. Or or rituals or ceremonies. You have to accept the gift. God's hands are outstretched to you with the gift of salvation this morning. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It also says that there is no other name except for the name of Jesus whereby people can get saved. You can call out to God right now with something like this. Words aren't important, not a magic prayer. Change it any way you want to. It's about a a real and genuine decision in your heart. You could call out with something like this this morning. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. 
God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning on, uh, from all that I hold on to. And I'm turning to you. Put my faith in what you did on the cross. It's the only means of my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you, I want to just, I, I beg you, if you prayed that prayer, you meant it. Now, it wasn't just reciting words, but you made a decision today. I'd love for you to reach out to me, whether it's through Facebook or my email at pwayman at clarksburgbaptistchurch.com. Maybe just tell me after the service that you're, uh, you made that decision, whether you're online, in person. I'd love to be able to tell you what's next because it's not the end. It's just the beginning. There's so much that God has for us. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would help us to filter our thoughts and actions through the gospel. God, help us in our different segments of life and the, uh, the, the temptations that we face. God, I pray that you would help us to be different. Pray for anyone that's listening, God, that might not know you yet. Or maybe they just made that choice today. God, I pray you just wrap your arms around them, God. Show them who you are, God. Motivate them and empower them to be who you want them to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.